I thought of um, several passages, but the one uh, from the Old Testament that I thought we might use is um, Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 is very familiar. Uh, it's quoted in the New Testament, um, but also uh, it's part of the Messiah. Uh, we hear this, and uh, it reminds us of God's uh, promises to his people. So let me ask you to stand as we hear from God's word, Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All these from Seba, Sheba uh, shall come. They shall bring gold and in, uh, frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kadar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you, for in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of all the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. The pine, excuse me, the sea the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I shall bring gold, and instead of iron, I shall bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. 
Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no more uh, shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall be all be righteous. Uh, They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Of course, that's talking about the church. (laughs) That's the glory of the church to come. Wow. That is great, isn't it? Well, if you can bear it, I'll read instead of the whole chapter, I'll just read the first nine verses to give us context in First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. God's word. Please have a seat. Well, if you do not think it's too much to go (laughs) just one verse this time. We had two this morning, now it's one verse. So pretty soon it'll be two words. (laughs) But um, I've got to tell you, even though there are no young people here, and I want to ask who's the youngest here. In uh, one of my favorite books, uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Tom and Becky Thatcher wander into a cave, McDougal's cave, and they get lost. Uh, Tom has a string, and that string starts to run out, and then the candles run out, and um, they are they are plunged in darkness 
and um, they're sitting down and Becky is absolutely in despair she has lost all hope that they're going to be found she figures that they're going to die in the cave but Tom looks around and he begins using that string to explore different ways and in one of the passages he sees in the distance a glimmer of light so he knows that there's a way out and he lives in hope and hope is a big thing for Christians so let's pray that God will help us remember the hope in Christ Father in heaven we pray that you'll bless our time looking at your word we thank you that uh, your word when we uh, begin to taste it opens up to us uh, so much and we thank you that this is evidence of the working of your Holy Spirit in the life of this man um, Peter that Peter would write such a thing uh, he who is a fisherman he who spent his life hauling in nets and separating good fish from bad writes these things uh, that have stood the test of time through two millennia what a remarkable thing and we thank you for your Holy Spirit's work uh, inspiring and guiding and keeping uh, for us uh, these words please bless the time we have now in Jesus name Amen well if you've read anything about of concentration camp concentration camps in World War II uh, you know that um, in psychological studies they've done uh, the people who had some kind of hope are the ones who lived people who gave up hope died uh, it could be hope of the allies coming and deliberating the camp or it could be hope uh, that uh, the camp commandant would die or things would get better or that um, the next day they'd have food people just had a hope uh, to get through things but you know that uh, people today are not full of hope people look at our country and they say how are we going to pay the debt how are we going to even service the debt that we're piling up? Uh, people look at uh, our opponents, China and Russia and Iran, and they say, how do we fight in so many different ways to so many different people uh, who want to get us? Uh, and people begin to lose hope for the future. So hope is something that... Uh, uh, we begin to struggle with and, and there are young people who begin their lives without any hope will I get a job will I find somebody to spend my life with will uh, we be able to stay together those kinds of things there is a despair that many people live with and uh, that's what characterizes the uh, unbeliever Paul talks about those who are without hope in Ephesians 2, verse 12. But there is something uh, as tragic as unbelieving 
uh, people who have no hope. It's that Christians are pessimistic. Christians seem to be without hope sometimes. The state of the nation, their own personal lives, sometimes the morals of our country and marriage falling apart and all that more frequently than we'd like to think Christian funerals are conducted without any mention of the resurrection hope it's a celebration of the life of that person but there is no mention of the resurrection from the dead and it sounds no different than unbelieving neighbors now Peter as he writes to these believers who've been uh, scattered by God's hand into the uh, region uh, they're a tiny minority in a big empire you read the book of Revelation or book of Daniel and you you're reminded of how power can be exercised against the church at this time of his writing Peter um, had become uh, a spokesman along with Paul and others he was a bold preacher of the hope of the resurrection and uh, he uh, mentions it again and again in this book as he mentions uh, the basic doctrines so we're going to just look at verse 3 if you'll be patient and spend some time I hope you'll see some things worth looking at in verse 3 he begins saying blessed be the God Christ now his his word here for blessed is not the usual Greek word makarios uh, that uh, is used elsewhere in the New Testament instead it's a word that that has two parts to it good and word it's a good word good words or good speaking Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1 uh, verse 3 uh, it's to speak well of someone so God is speaking about good things God uh, God is to be blessed and um, he blesses us in turn God has spoken of well because of what he's done blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ now we need to think about this description of God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is God uh, for many of us it's a struggle to have an apprehension of God uh, we understand that the scriptures describe him in many ways God describes himself in a place like Exodus 34 but we tend to think of God as sort of a spooky thing um, this ephemeral idea uh, this uh, will of the wisp almost as though he had no uh, certain existence but that's not what the scriptures say the scriptures say that God is the central reality for Christians uh, I love thinking about Genesis 1-1 in the beginning God created because that puts me 
in the right frame of mind to see that he begins all things. That without him, there is no existence at all. Because he creates all things that exist. I would not know anything apart from God being God. God Almighty. Now, he is the first person of the Blessed Trinity, but he is also the Father of God the Son. Look at that. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is known as the Father of Christ, as the one who brought into uh, this world through the Incarnation uh, his divine Son. We don't understand that. That's the mystery of the Incarnation, that God the Son, who is eternally existent, should take on flesh, the same flesh we have, uh, and live in this world in a real way. This is a mystery uh, beyond all comprehension. But God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ has sent the Son. And so we can know the Father, the reality of the Father, by seeing the Son. And Christ says as much. He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's what he told his disciples. We know God the Father through knowing Jesus Christ the Son. He reconciles us to God because God who knows us beforehand has elected us in Christ and he is full of mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The idea of mercy is uh, something we struggle with sometimes. If you accidentally step on somebody's foot, you ask for their pardon. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're on 90, uh, 95 or 64, and they zip in front of you so they can make the exit and get there a second before you, you show mercy. You say, maybe, well, maybe they were late for work. Maybe they had an emergency and they had to get home or something like that. We show mercy. But suppose somebody hurts some member of your family. How would I respond? Would I show mercy if somebody hurt one of my grandchildren? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I would act. There's a problem for God showing mercy because He's holy. And we're not holy. He has no unrighteousness, and yet he accepts us in the beloved. This is according to his mercy. God acts in proportion to his mercy. We have very little idea about how offended God is by our sin. We don't think about our sin as that series, not compared to many other people anyway. After all, there are some really nasty people out there who do nasty things. God gives us a pass, doesn't he? We just click on that pornography for just a minute. Then we say, no, 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 no. But we clicked on it. What does God think about that? Or that 
gorge that kind of rises in your in your throat when you start to think about she did it again whether it's a spouse or a speaker of the house or somebody we feel again and again that our sins are not big and yet a holy God all sin is a violation of his holiness his righteousness his justice Ian McClellan is my favorite Gandalf he hates what the Bible says about homosexuality because he's a homosexual is that going to cut it with God is God going to say Ian you are a very good actor you got awards for your acting and I loved you in the Lord of the Rings is God going to say that and give him a pass no God's holy all the time in every way with every person so God shows mercy according to his greatness in proportion to his ability what's his ability to show mercy to his children it's great all the times that God has not poured out wrath on you or me when we deserve it God has shown mercy again and again these things come because he is gracious and kind and he's caused us to be born again now there are only a few places in the New Testament where that phrase born again is used it's, it's made popular by Billy Graham and Jimmy Carter and others but it doesn't appear very much in the New Testament it appears here in verse 3 and then in verse 23 that's the only two times now of course in John's Gospel in chapter 3 Jesus talks about being born born anew but he doesn't use this phrase exactly Christ is emphatic there in John 3 that unless a person is born again born from above they're not able to enter the kingdom of heaven Christianity isn't coming and kind of picking up some excuse me some good table manners you don't come become a Christian because you've kind of caught it you're around Christians and just like catching COVID you catch Christianity that doesn't happen my mom when we went to our neighbor's house one time um, told me about where all the silver was and why it all was where it was because we didn't usually use all those kinds of pieces um, and that's not how Christianity comes it's not because I go to school and and study and those studies kind of bring me to uh, faith we're by nature children of wrath as Paul talks about we are born again by the grace of God it's a supernatural act people mimic it and we all know and maybe we've experienced it we all know that people can play at being born again they can act as though they are Christians and maybe that's happened to you there there are people that uh, I've interviewed for church membership who will talk about being raised in the church going forward 
uh, professing their faith and then realizing that they weren't converted at all at a later point. That they simply were doing what everybody else did. I, I went through my class at uh, 12 years old with my friend Ken Smith and we went up front in the Methodist Church because that's what you did when you were 12 years old. But that's not when I was born again. So it's not by our will, not by our parentage, not by our efforts. We are born again by the will of God. We're born again because God has done it. God doesn't need these things that we do. It's his mercy. His angels to serve and praise him. But he chooses to have children born from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're born from above, born again to a living hope. A living hope. Now, a hope which is dead is no hope at all. You couldn't have a hope that was dead on arrival. When I was growing up, we always got our Sears catalog sometime in November, and I started leafing through that, deciding which toys I wanted for Christmas. And I turned to that page and I, I saw the Robin Hood castle. And it had Robin Hood and Prince John and Sheriff of Nottingham and Little John. Uh, and it had a horse. And uh, I thought this was the greatest present I could ever get. And I longed for that thing. I told my parents, of course. I longed for that. I had a living hope. And the day I got it, I was so happy. But I can't tell you where it is. It's gone. It got destroyed, thrown away, or whatever. So it's not much of a living hope. Hope is, as somebody put, the happy anticipation of good. If you dread bad things happening, and you hope for good things, that should be a biblical hope. Biblical hope based on the character of God. God says, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God said that to the exiles in Babylon, who may have thought that their exile in a foreign land meant that God had broken his covenant promises to Abraham and that they were forgotten. But God was promising to restore his people to the land and to fellowship with him. He was going to keep his covenant, the covenant that he made with Abraham. He was going to keep that covenant now, Peter says this is a living hope. He uses the, the verb live, zeo, in the present passive participle. So it's a hope that is given to us. It's not one we do. We don't create this life. It's given to us. It's given by God. He's the one who makes it living. And because it's a participial form, that means it's ongoing and it starts now it's something that now is present and it will continue and continue forever it has no end it's a hope that can't be disappointed or ashamed because it's grounded in what God has said and he can't lie all of us if we're parents know what it is to promise our kids things we'll have hot dogs tonight and then you realize you don't have any hot dogs 
uh, or we're going to go to Disney World and you start to count your pennies and you realize that you have no way you can pay for your family to go to Disney World. So you realize that those things are going to, not going to happen. But Bob Dylan famously sang, God don't make promises that he don't keep. That's what God does. God has the power and the will to be true to what he's declared in his word. And God's trustworthy character as an almighty God and Father is the source of our confident hope, a hope in resurrection life. Notice that, that it's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's because Christ has been raised from the dead that we have hope. If Christ had remained, no hope. Our Savior would have died. The, the disciples would have scattered. They would have had no message. They wouldn't have preached anything. But instead, the disciples are constantly preaching the resurrection of Christ. They were witnesses chosen by God to be testifying even before kings of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul would say, and I just am amazed every time I read it, in Acts 17, he would say before the philosophers gathered there on Mars Hill that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that God's committed all things into his hand. So we can't be afraid or ashamed to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is the proof that the Christian is indeed now declared innocent before God. What an amazing thing if you think about it, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. God finds no reason to condemn you if you are in Jesus Christ. My goodness. I know what I am. I know my sin. But God says, in Jesus Christ... You are not condemned because Christ has taken all your sin. Praise God. So, when we were dead in our, trans, uh, in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. We were dead but we're made alive. So the Christian's hope is in the resurrection. It's a resurrection hope. And when you see a believer die, look at the resurrection hope that God gives you. That person is now with Jesus. And one day there'll be a glorious resurrection. And if you are in Jesus Christ, the terror of death is taken from you because Christ has promised and assured you that you will rise from the dead. The day will come. Christ has done this. This hope is vital. Think of those early Christians that Peter's writing to. These tiny little communities in, in these provinces, tiny little Christian churches, mission churches, just starting out, meeting in homes, surrounded by a hostile culture. How are they going to face up to the Roman Empire, which seemed 
all-powerful. They may not have had the internet to control you through Facebook and Google and all the rest, but they had the Roman legions who could knock on your door and pull you out and put you in the arena. They could lose everything. Just as Christians today in some countries lose everything. But they have hope. They have true hope. This hope is grounded not in some ephemeral, not in some uh, fancy thing that resurrection of the Savior, which is accomplished. And as the New Testament teaches, in Christ's resurrection, our resurrections are certain. And our resurrections have in fact begun. We are seated already with Christ in the heavenly place. I don't understand that because I'm living in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But (laughs) that's what the Bible says. That already this has begun. We struggle because our world offers no hope. We struggle because sometimes in our flesh we forget who we are and we're overcome by our sin in our own lives. If you face some terminal illness, what's your hope going to be? If you face the loss of things that you thought were certain, what's your hope going to be? When you're confronted with pain and the certainty of death, what is your hope going to be? We don't have foolish or empty, mindless hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, of the accomplished work of the Savior. This is to stand in contrast to our world. Matthew Henry put it centuries ago this way, the hope of eternal life in the true Christian is a hope that keeps him alive quickens him, supports him, and conducts him to heaven. The delusive hopes of vain and perishing, the hypocrite and his hope expire and die both together. The hopeless hope of the unbeliever ends when they appear before the judgment seat of God. I think of a man like Richard Dawkins, a, an opponent of God, a strong atheist. But one day, he will die. And he will appear before God Almighty. What will his hope be? Unless he's converted, unless he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he has no grounds for hope at all. Well, let me just close with this. Peter goes on in verse 13 to say, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There'll be a time to see the Savior. He says, not having seen him, you love him. And that day you'll see him. What a day. To see Jesus in his glory. To be in his presence forever. 
never to be troubled by sin again. What a day. So we hope, because Christ has been raised, and the Father has caused us to be born again to that hope. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you'll help us to be people who have true hope, the hope that comes in your Son. We pray that as we trust in you, uh, we will have something to say to those around us uh, who are often hopeless that indeed you will keep your promise to us just as Psalm 16 says you will not leave our souls to perish in the grave but you will take us to yourself where we will be blessed forever thank you and we bless your name almighty God we bless you forever and ever as our God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I love this closing hymn, 706.